You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you are a stranger in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Lord, would you come and speak to us from your word that we might be a people marked by your love in Christ's name. Amen. Wonderful to have you with us, especially if you're visiting for the main event, which will happen right after I'm done here. I just have a few words to say, um, and I'm speaking of obviously the main event being the baptism of, uh, of the five children we're, we are about to baptize. What, what a great, great occasion. Uh, if you are visiting, my name's David, as you can tell, I'm one of the priests here, and um, we have been in a season of looking at the vision and values of St. Bart's. And the values of St. Bart's are in the back of your bulletin in case you want to see and explore them for yourself. And um, rather, they were. They're actually on our website, my mistake. But our vision is, uh, is simply this. This church was planted. It's a new work. And the vision of the church is to connect the people of East Dallas with God and his people so that we together might behold God and become more like him. Connect the people of East Dallas, which begins in Fair Park, comes all the way around, all the way up around the lake and stretches to 635, and that we might connect them with God and the people of God, that together we might behold Jesus and become like him. And so we come to our passage. We looked at the first of the great commandments last week. We thought we'd finish it off and look at the second one uh, this week. And... Um, we see this incredible scene in Matthew, in Mark chapter 12. It's in all of the synoptic gospels. And it's a moment where a teacher, a teachable scribe, approaches Jesus and says, what is the greatest of the commandments? What's of fundamental importance and what's central to your teaching? What does religious life look like under your guidance? The word religious, it's helpful to remind ourselves what religious means because I can, it's a word thrown about these days with all kinds of meanings. Uh, the word religious actually means to relate to or manifest faithful devotion to an ultimate reality or deity. So what does it mean to be faithfully devoted to you? to the God you are pointing us to. And so it's worth saying that in the first century, the Jews in Galilee would have lived in close proximity with people you wouldn't expect to have to um, get along with or like. For example, they rub shoulders daily with their oppressors from the Roman Empire, Romans. And Romans um, enforced their rule through um, the most awful of torture, made um, known to all through the crucifixion. That was an incredible practice. And then you also had their other neighbors who were pagan Greeks who believed in a multitude of gods and a multitude of practices and things. And so it's perfectly normal to hate your oppressor, isn't it? Because when you're a victim of injustice and you want justice, 
All of the emotions are present. And anger is a God-given emotion that helps us realize that we've not been treated the way we ought to be. And it gives us the energy, doesn't it, to put back in place a boundary that's been broken. But so often anger can go dark, can't it? And how could you take a polytheist seriously if you're a first century Jew? After all, your way of life has been predicated on centuries of Israelite tradition based on the Torah where God himself gave instruction to Moses on how to live in a relationship with the one almighty God who is above all other gods. So that, that was some of their neighbors. Who are your neighbors? May not be quite the same, but again, it's, it's a question we all face today. So Jesus' answer packs a bit of a punch in, math, in Mark 12, verse 31, he says this. 30, apologies. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then verse 31. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So, and some of you, this is old hat, I know. But Deuteronomy 6 is where this is lifted from. The first century Jews would have called it the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But then Jesus goes on and adds the second commandment from Leviticus, which we had read to us. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then he goes on. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat this stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. The second commandment requires us to do two things. It requires us to define who we are, and the second, who is our neighbor. So if you're to love someone as yourself, well, you need to have a, an, an idea of your identity. Throughout Scripture, God is always initiating. He's always the first to act. He's always the first to speak. We may not realize it. He's always the one calling his people to him. And what we see in Scripture is an almighty, loving God who calls a people who are slaves, who have no status. They have no value except their slave labor. And he calls them to a mountain in Exodus so they can worship him so that in the very act of worship, they can discover exactly who they are. It's as if he's following our vision statement, right? To behold him so that we can become like him. Obviously, we got it the other way around. We got it from God, not the opposite, um, just in case you're worried about heresy. Um, they, the people of Israel, are bought at a price. They become the firstborn of the living God. They are the object of his affection. They are invited to love their Lord, their God, with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength. Why? 
Because time and again, this, the story, the arc of redemption in the scriptures is of an almighty loving God who uses all of his heart and all of his might to bring rescue to a people he loves. They are a people defined by the one who has called them into a loving relationship. That's who they are. And they're called the slave, the one without value, has become the one of ultimate importance because of the affection God has for them. That's who they are. Love yourself like the one who loves you does. The slave has become, or the stranger has become, a person of incredible significance, a person who's no longer a stranger, but a person who is now in intimate connection with the Creator God. It's interesting that this, this provision in Leviticus is the reason Ruth is able to be redeemed by Boaz, because it's hard wired, it's hard written into the, 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 the understanding of devotion that we would love our neighbors, ourselves. So that's the first thing, who are you, who were they? And then who's the neighbor? Who's the neighbor? Well, there are two approaches here. You can look for religious and quasi-bureaucratic definitions of who your neighbor is and refine the definition narrower and narrower and narrower so that you're, you have a group of people that you're to love and to relate to that is it's quite achievable in your own strength on the surface level. And here we see something that I think most people know in the U.S. is that you shouldn't really take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you shouldn't hold a grudge and you shouldn't take vengeance against people that are like you. Well, maybe that isn't as obvious as it is. And part of the challenge is the heart, isn't it? Because it's one thing to know something. It's one thing to live something and to, to follow it. But then it gets rather complex. Jesus has thrown us a curveball here. You shall treat the stranger who, sojour who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Well, to sojourn means to stay temporarily. And the whole purpose behind this is to remind them there was a time when they were strangers. Remember, you were once people in a culture and society where you had no status, you had no rights, you were different from everyone else. No one looked like you, no one thought like you, and no one lived like you. So when you meet someone who is different, do them no wrong. That's the first thing. Don't sin against someone who's different. Okay, and that it could be either in thought, word, or deed. Well, the second thing is we're to treat the stranger as the native among us. To, just, the, to treat the person who doesn't look like us, doesn't live like us, doesn't think like us, as someone you would be perfectly reasonable to bump into, say, at a coffee shop or at another thing, and, 
And I guess if that were the case, then maybe we were, to, were expected to extend to them the honor and privilege and give them our time. That's probably our most precious commodity these days. But then the third challenge is almost unbearable, isn't it? It requires something we none of us have. To love them as ourself. So the slave, the one without value, has become the one of ultimate importance because of the affection God has for them. That's who they are. Love yourself like the one who loves you does. So a person of significance, a person of destiny, who's worth and worthy of all of God's heart and might, that's who we're to love the stranger as. That's how we're to relate to them. And what we see here, that there's something about these two commandments going together where we're invited by Jesus to do the impossible. We're invited to transcend cultural stereotypes. We're invited to transcend cultural norms. And we're invited to transcend division and prejudice. This is why the book of Acts is so compelling. It's so explosive. Because followers of Jesus simply did this. They loved him with all they had, and they loved those around them as if they were recipients of what they just received, this love that takes us to the boundary of language. We're baptizing five children today. What kind of church do we want them to grow up in? Our heart here at St. Bart's is that it's a church like in Acts. But it's entirely impossible to do unless the Spirit of God is given free reign in our hearts. Unless we approach our day-to-day timetable and say, what was the, the famous Wesleyan prayer? Lord, may I be like change, spare change in your pocket. Spend me where you like. The stranger is your neighbor, and you are the object of his affection. You are invited to love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Why? Because Jesus gave all of his heart, brought all of his might to your rescue. And you, St. Bart's and visitors, are a people defined by the one who has called you. He has called you into a loving relationship where you are of ultimate importance. Why? Because of the affection your Father in heaven has for you. That's who you are. Love yourself that way. You are worth and worthy of all of his love all day long. Regardless of what you do during the day, each one of you are a person of incredible significance. How do we know? Because of the significance of the crucifixion and resurrection. You're a person of, I'm going to use a loaded word, you're a person of destiny. You're one who is worth and worthy of all of Jesus' heart and might. Got it? I mean, that's the rest of our lives, working that out. But that's how we're to love the stranger. That's how we're to love the stranger who doesn't look like you who doesn't think like you or live like you. Love them like yourself. 
We were at a conference in 2007 where the speaker asked us how many friends we had who were of a different ethnicity. And uh, I elbowed Rachel and I said, I don't know if Canadian is a different ethnicity from British because, you know, people can't tell from a distance. And we realized we didn't have any friends who were from a different um, ethnic background. And we were living in one of the most cosmopolitan cities not, not Dallas, but London at the time. And, um, and it can be daunting, can't it, to think of, well, how do, we, how do I come into contact with a stranger who's someone who's different from me, different background? And there's lots of books on how to do it, and so much writing has been generated in this last few years that it's all so helpful. But my story, our story, was we simply prayed, said, Lord, would you lead us in this? Bring us friends who are different, and as it turned out, I had a five-minute walk back to church from the house, and a new Malaysian takeout place had opened. And um, so that first Sunday evening, I walked in. I got too much of a takeaway, a takeout, and I took it home, and I ate it. And it was delicious. So the second week, I went again. And then I found I had to limit myself from going in, and um, so I only went every other week. And then it became 50-50 whether I paid or not because I'd gotten to know Lou who worked behind there. And I, I just loved the food, so I'd spend time, hang out with them, hoping to use my presence as an advantage and get free food. Um, you know, I, I do that. Um, so be warned when I come to your house close to supper and I just linger, you know, I'm, I'm just looking to be fed. Um, I'm that simple. And uh, anyway, I showed up one day, and it was Chinese New Year, and the cooks were in the back, and that time they knew me, and, and uh, I was there, and they said, we're about to have a party in the back. Do you want to join us? I said, sure. I went in the back. I thought there was like a room in the back, but no, we just went amongst where the walks were and everything, and they said, for Chinese New Year, we're having a delicacy. We're eating chicken feet. I said, oh, fantastic. And he said, have you ever had chicken feet? No, but I've always wanted to try it. I, I'll admit now I was lying through my teeth. And uh, they said, oh, great, oh, great, Mr. David, you, you, you try first. You know, they give me the, the biggest chicken foot of, of the batch. I was like, Lord, this is for you. And I took the chicken's foot, put it in my mouth, crunched it, chewed it, swallowed it, and they burst into laughter. They said, what are you doing? You're so foolish. I said, well, what do you mean? I just ate your chicken foot. They said, you're not meant to eat them. You're meant to suck the batter off of them. And I said, well, you could have, could have told me. You know, after that, we became friends. And I got to know Lou. And one of the great privileges of that time was we went for a walk around Clapham Common. And his personal life had gotten into considerable distress. And he said to me, literally, no exaggeration, Tell me about the hope that you have in Jesus, because I need hope. You know, uh, and so we had this conversation, and I have no idea where it went, because the shop closed, and as we left London, he left, and I don't know where it is, but I was so enriched, and I gained 30 pounds, but it was an enriching 30 pounds by having a friend of a totally different culture and so I want to encourage us here in East Dallas, whether you're in Richardson, I guess we can count Richardson as East Dallas, though it's its own city, um, or, you know, wherever you live, to be asking the Lord, lead me. I love you, Jesus. 
Lead me deeper into your love and help me show that love to others. Right. I'm going to finish now because we have children to baptize, but you might be in a couple of places this morning. And in a moment, we're going to pray, and you might be have just sat here, and you may be visiting, and, and you're just welcome to, to watch and observe. But for those of you who've been listening for the past few weeks, I want to say, first and foremost, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation here. What is condemnation? Condemnation is like a cloud of ugh, and you just feel awful about yourself. And that's not from Jesus. That's from, well, I would say the pit of hell. Because Jesus never seeks to make us feel bad about who we are. What Jesus does instead is he convicts, and it's laser accurate. And so it may be that you've been prompted and convicted by Jesus this morning that you're holding a grudge that it's just time to let go of. And maybe that you've acted in vengeance, maybe with cutting words, or, or maybe you, you've withheld. That's where I go dark. I withhold. So <laughs> they're going to act like that? I'm just going to withhold, you know? I don't actually say that, but that's what I end up doing. You may be prompted, and if that is the case, you will know in your mind exactly who that person is. And if, if the, the Lord has convicted you of that, it's out of kindness. It's out of his kindness that he convicts us and leads us to repentance. And quite simply, you may not know someone who's different from you. And the good news is that the pressure's off because we want to be led by the Lord Jesus. We want him to bring us into people's lives that we might share the love that we've received. And it may be, it may just be that your relationship with the Lord and coming to church throughout the years has been one marked by the absence of his love. It happens. We get into a habit of doing things a certain way and and we lose sight, our hearts maybe grow cold, or things happen. We go through difficult times. And so we're, we're going to pray. Because the goal is to be a church that connects the people of East Dallas with God and the people of God so that together as a community we might behold Him and become like Him. Why don't we pray? Would you join me in standing? And Lord, as we stand, we ask that you would, by your presence, draw near to us. And Lord, if there's anyone here that you've prompted to ask for forgiveness for a way that they may have withheld their affection or they may be holding a grudge, Lord, would you do business with them that they might be freed from that? And Lord, we thank you that you have loved us with all of your heart and with all of your might. You have made it possible for us to be redeemed. And in order for us to love others the way you love us, we need your help. So we ask for the gift of your spirit 
Thank you, Jesus, that your presence here on earth is brought to us by the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you even now well up within us and come upon us? And for any of us, Lord, who feel that need, that prompting by you to meet, to love those who are different from us, we need your help. We need your power. We need your might. And we need your love. So come, Holy Spirit. Would you lead us to be a people marked by your presence where the way that we behave as a church transcends cultural norms, overcomes cultural stereotypes, that the way we relate to each other and the people around us would transcend prejudice and division, that we might be kingdom people marked by the heart of our king, King Jesus. It's Christ's name we pray, amen.